Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody, and when you're done, you can be seated. Amen. It really is great to see everybody out today. I know it's a little chilly out there today, but you know, spring is coming. Look at your bulletin. It says it right there on the bulletin. You know, that's truth. Spring is just around the corner, and actually in, uh, let's see, eight days, I think, is the first day of spring, uh, according to the calendar, but you never really know. Um, But we have some amazing things coming up for our church in the next few days. I was talking to Pastor, and uh, I told him that uh, when the Beast Feast rolls around, it's just nonstop all through the rest of the year. It's just at one thing after another. I think we've got something going on every month except for September, but usually September is preparation for more things, so it's always something is always going on here. So you want to make sure that you're in all of our services. We do have our evening service tonight at 6.30 p.m. You want to make sure you're here for that. And then also on Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m., we'll have our Bible study and prayer time. Um, Next Sunday, though, is the 19th. And next Sunday, we're going to be having missionaries here. We're going to be having a missions emphasis. We're going to have Ken and Tricia Sturtz here with us. And you'll want to make sure you're here for Sunday school, Sunday morning, and Sunday evening services uh, with them when they're here and uh, hear what they're doing in their ministry and what the Lord is doing through them. And as part of that, men, if I could have uh, some some men up here, we have a flyer here. Uh, This is an invitation to a lunch event that we're we're trying to put together. And I need your RSVP for this. So uh, one per family, please. I only have a limited amount. We're trying to go to a buffet um, next, Saturday, uh, next Sunday afternoon after the morning service. And if you'd like to attend, you're more than welcome to. It is Dutch treats, so that there's that caveat. Um, but if you'd like to attend, please let me know so I can let the uh, establishment know how many people to expect so we can reserve the room. Uh, we'd really like to take the missionaries out if they're able to, but either, either way, we'd love to get everybody together and go out for a missions-minded lunch. Uh, next Sunday after the morning service, it'll be about 1, uh, 1 p.m., not 1 a.m., 1 p.m., and that's when lunchtime is. So if you'd like to go to that, please let me know. My number is on that sheet, and uh, you'd let me know, okay, so I can get that together. We do have the Fill America campaign coming up. March the 25th is our big visitation day for that, and that's coming up in just a couple weeks. Pass out as many tracks as you can. Let us know how many you do so that we can let the next level know as well, and uh, we'll be uh, excited to see the Lord work through the tracks that you give out. You see, when we pass out this gospel tract, when we pass out this little smile tract, you know what's inside of this tract? The Word of God. And inside of this tells a person how they can get saved, how they can know for sure that they're going to heaven. So you just passing this out to somebody, one a day, two a day, however many you can, uh, will allow you the opportunity to maybe see a soul saved through that gospel tract. So we're going to be having a campaign about that. Uh, for three weeks, March the 25th to April the 8th, and you want to be part of that as well. Palm Sunday is coming up, April 2nd. Lord's Supper will be on April the 4th. That's Tuesday, April the 4th at 7.30 p.m. We do have some uh, flyers. I could not find those sheets, uh, the chart and everything, but I'm sure Pastor has those somewhere that he can give to you uh, if you ask him to do so. Then we have the Resurrection Sunday, what people call Easter, Easter. Our Resurrection Sunday service will be April the 9th. We're going to have a musicale. We're going to have narration. We're going to have preaching. We're going to have singing. It's going to be a great time. Invite somebody out to that. Uh, this is a, one of the two big services a year that people will go to church. So use that to bring them out to church because you know what they're going to hear here. They're going to hear the gospel. And through the gospel, they have an opportunity to get saved. So be that conduit to that person to see the Lord work in their life. We, as part of that, we're going to have the musicale, I said. We're going to have this choir loft filled with people, with you and your voices. So, as part of that, we're going to have practice. Uh, March the 19th, the 26th, and April the 2nd. They're all Sundays, all Sunday afternoons at 5.30 p.m. We'll be here. Uh, Brother Ryan and Preacher will be up here, and they'll be leading us. They'll be telling us how to sing, what to sing, you know, the, the volume, the power that we're going to have through the, through the words in our songs. So you want to be out for that practice, March the 19th, 26th, and the 2nd at 5.30 p.m. if you'd like to be part of our musicale on Resurrection Sunday, April the 9th. And finally, uh, as part of this, I've got a sheet here that I was given this morning. This is for the ladies' luncheon. 
a delicious luncheon for ladies and girls. And we've got these flyers. They're ready, and they're ready to be used as we share about the information about our ladies' luncheon. We had the Beast Feast uh, last week, and we were excited about that. We had amazing crowd for that, and we want to have the same level of excitement for the ladies' luncheon. It will be on Saturday, April 29th at 1 p.m. And on this sheet, it says there's food, fun, and fellowship. I love the alliteration there, and that's true. There's going to be fun and food and fellowship. And there's also going to be prizes. Let me ask you this. What's the best kind of prize? Free. Free. Yeah, that's good. It's not what I was looking for. I've always been told the best kind of prize is a surprise. There's going to be surprises there. There's going to be uh, all kinds of things. There's going to be a time in the Word. And also, it is free. Yes, it is absolutely free for you and for the people that you bring. So make sure you bring someone to that. Uh, young girls must be old enough to sit quietly through the program, though, just like the young boys had to do for the Beast Feast. Uh, we are in our Nehemiah Project campaign right now. That's the green envelope that you have uh, in front of you. Um, in my meeting with pastors this last week, we were discussing this project, and we were so thankful for all of your giving that you're already giving to this project. This is a new project that we're doing for this year, and what it entails is the building, the grounds, the inside, the outside. We need to spruce this place up. We need to fix what's broken. We need to repair the things that need to be repaired. There's lights out throughout the building. Uh, the outside exterior needs a redo. The, um, the, uh, uh, the parking lot needs a redo. All of these things need to be redone. And you might ask yourself, well, why would we put so much money into just a building? Well, this building means something. It means a place where you and I can gather. But it also means that when visitors come, we have an opportunity to show them that we have a good facility to, to worship in, and uh, we don't want to scare them away with the flickering lights around our building. And there's not many of those, but we need to make sure that we do our part. We are good stewards of what the Lord has given to us. We have a big project going on back here. It's not our project. It's the county's project. They're going to be building so many houses, so many things uh, right in our little area. And we are going to be a, a lighthouse here for those people to be able to come to Jesus Christ. So our building needs to be one in which we have uh, everything taken care of so they can see us. So give to the Nehemiah Project today. And also in our gift shop, our gift shop will be open. Is that correct? We have these wonderful calendars here. $4 for a calendar, psalms, uh, on eagle's wings. I know there's other, other types of calendars, so if you'd like to go to the bookshop book afterwards, you can go ahead and get those. We also have more magnets as well, $3 for the magnets. And I know I'm going to be getting a calendar here eventually for my office, so make sure you stop by there for that. All right, I'm done talking. Let, let's have the Lord talk, speak to us today. What, what do you think about that? All right, take your Bibles. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter As part of spring and as part of March, we think of spring and we think of the new life that comes. We think of things uh, looking pretty. For instance, when you walked into our main doors, um, you walked past the tree that's right there. And I'll tell you this, in the fall, I do not like that tree because it drops all of its leaves everywhere and I have got to clean it up or somebody's got to clean it up and it's just a constant you know, leaves are falling and, and making a big mess. But in the spring, that tree is gorgeous. It's beautiful. And when you walk in these doors, you'll walk past that tree. And you'll see, what do you see? You see that it's white right now. It's blossoming. It's got that new life in it right now. It's because spring brings new life. Fall and winter brings the death of that life. And summer is the vitality of that life. Seasons teach us lessons. And in the seasons, we can get lessons. I think that God had this designed when he put seasons into our world. And he said, at spring, things will come to life. And in summer, things will be at its fullest. And at fall and winter, things will die and decay and go away. And it teaches us so many different lessons how, you know, as you and I are human, we once upon a time had new life. We were born and we have that new life. And then we, ha we come into our life and we are in our prime and we, we live in our prime and we've got our summer season, I guess you could say. And then at one point or another, we will enter our fall and our winter season and we will one day pass away. And that's just the way the human life is. But you know, it also has a lesson spiritually in that you are dead in your trespasses and sin until Jesus Christ comes and gives you that new life. You live in the 
fall and the winter spiritually until Jesus comes and brings you into spring and summer. Spring brings new life. For instance, uh, as an object lesson, I have brought with me two things here. A beautiful rose. And this rose has new life. I bought it yesterday. And in this rose, it looks pretty, it's gorgeous, it's red, it's full of life. It, it's probably not that old. And with this rose, we see beauty and life. One day, this rose will turn into this rose. Dead and decaying. No color. It's dark. It's, it's falling apart right here on the pulpit. It's bar- I barely got it here. One day, this rose will turn into that. That's our human life. This is what we look like spiritually until one day Jesus comes and says, now you look like this. This is your life. And this is the life that he wants us to have the whole time we reside on this earth. He wants us to live in that vital life, that vitality of that life, the summer, the spring season of life. He wants us to have that new life. This old life is corrupted. Wouldn't you say this is corrupted? I, I, I would not present this to my wife on Valentine's Day. And if you do, I do not. I would not. That's corrupted. That's sinful. That's gone. But this is incorruptible. This is perfect. This is what I would take and I would present to my wife as a bouquet of flowers on Valentine's Day. This is what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1. I hope that you found 1 Peter chapter 1. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 22 through 25. 22 through 25. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we see Peter here saying, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. In this passage, Peter is telling us three things that I would like to discuss today as we speak on the subject of new life. He speaks about being born of incorruptible. He speaks about how we ought to have the word of God be our final authority. And he speaks about the results of all of this resulting in love. Love for each other and love for those outside these walls. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is inspired. It is preserved through the ages. And through it, we can see how we are to live in the new life that you have given to us. The revived life, the renewed life, the Uh, the the life that you have for us to live spiritually. I pray that we do so, that we apply what we learn today into our lives so that we can live uh, more fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and be able to love each other and love those who don't have Christ in their lives yet. I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you, I pray that you'll help them to understand that this is the way that you get new life is by accepting Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'll be with me in my speech. I pray that you'll fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to say the words that you'd have me to say. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it, Lord. We love you, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We see here that there is corruptible and incorruptible. And Peter here is talking about the physical and the spiritual. You see, when you and I were born, we had a physical birth. And one day, when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will have the spiritual birth. Turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, here Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And if you know this story, Nicodemus came to him at night and asked some questions about uh, spirituality and about how he can uh, know that he's going to heaven. And Jesus had some things to say about that. Jesus here in John chapter 3, in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
You see, Nicodemus here was thinking physically. You know how when a mother is carrying a baby, she carries the baby in her womb. And in that womb, then uh, that baby develops and is formed. And then one day, the, the mother delivers the baby. And now the baby has, is able to take its first breath and breathe and grow and turn into the child and then the adult. And once that child is matured, how can they enter back into that mother's womb and be born again? He cannot. It would not make any sense for me to enter into my mom's womb again and be born again. This is what Nicodemus was looking at. He was looking at it from the physical. But Jesus wanted him to look through the spiritual lens. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, which is the physical birth, and of spirit, which is the spiritual birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. You see, this is where Jesus separates out the two, from the physical birth to the spiritual birth. You are to once be born physically when you have life here on this earth as a human being, and then one day the plan is for you to be born spiritually, for you to accept Jesus Christ and to be born spiritually, that which is of the flesh is flesh. You cannot be born a second time in the flesh. You must be born a second time in the spirit. That which is of the spirit is spirit. The only way to enter into the spiritual family is by the spiritual birth through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by us living a better life. It's not by us striving to do better or to follow the Ten Commandments or the commandments that God has given to us. No, that comes as a result of our salvation, not in order for us to be saved. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not by our works that we're saved, it's by God's work through he's saved. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ is the only way that we can have that salvation, and the only way that we can be saved spiritually, born again. You see, when you were born, two earthly people had to be part of that birth. Whether or not you still have your mom or your dad in your life, two earthly people had to be born, had to, had to partake into the birth of you and of me. We have two earthly parents. But we're also looking here and we're seeing that we actually have two spiritual parents too. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now turn back to our text, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 tells us the other parent. So the first parent is the Holy Spirit, and he uses the, a tool. He uses the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever. You see, physically you have two parents, but spiritually you also have two parents. You have the Spirit of God who uses the Word of God and it comes together to give you salvation. If only you will believe, if only you will take, if only you will accept the salvation that God has given to you. The Spirit of God works with the Word of God to give us salvation. You all remember when you were saved. If you, I hope that you do. Many of you raised your hands at the opening and said, I remember the day that I got saved. Um, let me tell you, the day that I got saved was May 1998. You say, wow, that was a long time ago. It was. I was age five, okay? In nine, May 1998, in my, my living room, uh, living room, there was a blue couch, and my mom took me, and she, she talked to me about how Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin, how she... Uh, he, she told me about how he died for my sin. He paid that price. He, he sacrificed his life. He then rose again three days later, victorious over that sin, and how that when I disobey, when I lie, and when I cheat, and when I steal, I disobey God. And she's telling to this to me as a five-year-old could understand it. And she gets to the point where she tells me the only way that you can see Jesus, the only way that you can have salvation is to accept Jesus Christ. The only way that you can be born again is to accept Jesus Christ, to ask him into your heart. Pray the prayer with me. And she took me through the prayer. We knelt down at, our, at the blue couch in our living room, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. That was the day that I was born again. That was the day that the Spirit of God and the Word of God came together, and I was gloriously saved. The same thing happened to you one day when you were saved. The Spirit of God and the Word of God came together, and you got saved. This is the spiritual birth. This is being born again of incorruptible. 
And once we have that salvation, we get things. We get, we get these things. It's these things called a new nature. As 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 says, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature." We also get a lively hope. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now that we're saved, we have hope and we have a new nature. And we can live in that new life. We can live in that new nature. Seeing the difference between the corruptible and the incorruptible helps us to understand that we also have uh, we also have the ability to never lose our salvation. We'll never lose our salvation. You see, we are corruptible human beings. We sin and we are human and we fall short of God's glory. But when we get saved, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, we get the incorruptible seed within us. What happens to incorruptible things? It doesn't corrupt. It never goes away. So you'll never be able to lose your salvation because we've been given that promise by God. But let's look at the corruptible here for a second. This is not a science class, and I am not a science teacher, but I am going to bring up a scientific topic, and it is the law of thermodynamics, specifically the second law of thermodynamics. Now, high school was quite a while ago for a lot of us, and I'm going to give you a little bit of refresher here. The second law of thermodynamics is known as the law of entropy. Entropy is a measure of the disorder or randomness of a system. The law states that in any natural process, the total entropy of a closed system always increases over time. This means that over time, the energy in a system becomes more and more evenly distributed, resulting in a state of increasing disorder and decay. So what did I say? I said basically this. Everything is on a downward path. Everything is in a constant state of decay. If you, for example, this rose right in front of me is a constant state of decay. It decayed all over the platform. This one will decay within the next couple days. Everything is in a constant state of decay and disorder. Beautiful spring flowers, the ones that you're going to be seeing, they will come, they will look pretty for a time, but they will die and they will fade away in the fall and the winter. And this is happening throughout our entire society, in, all, in our world, in our government, in our churches. We are seeing a constant falling apart a constant decay. If we try to live our lives in this first birth, this physical birth, this old nature, we will be in a constant state of decay and we are doomed to fail. Let me tell you this, that's, what, that's how the people in our government are living. That's how the people in these White House up here is living. That's how the people in, uh, in certain places of our society are living. They are living in the first birth. They are living in themselves. It's all about them, not about what God wants. They're not living in the second birth. They're not living in that incorruptible seed. But if instead we live our lives in that second birth, the new birth, we will find ourselves succeeding. And by succeeding, I mean succeeding in what God wants us to succeed in. Succeeding in the will of God. We tap into that new nature and we live in that lively hope that we are given. Because, here's the thing, we become sons of God. We become heirs. We, we just saying we're a child of the king. We become sons of God. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we see John here speaking about how we are become, becoming the sons of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, But as many as received him, that's speaking of Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're saying that any of us who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're not born in the physical birth by the will of man, but instead we are born of God. We are become the sons of God. When that happens, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are changed. We are changed from the inside out. And now our desires are rearranged. Now our attitudes are rearranged. Now our motives are rearranged because we have the new life. We have what God wants for us in our life. We are sons of God and we have his 
Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit comes to reside within you, helping you and uh, nurturing you and helping you to understand the things of the Word of God. We are now spiritually alive and placed into the family of God. And there's a sense here of uh, the sense of making versus beginning. I was reading in Mere Christianity uh, by C.S. Lewis, and he speaks on this subject. And he brings up this question. He says, aren't we all essentially sons of God anyways? In a sense, you could say yes, because God brought us into this world. He loves us and he cares for us. So in that sense, you know, we, we could be. But when John here says, become the sons of God, he's referring to something far greater. He's referring to the fact that you and I are now part of the family of God. We believe that Jesus was not created, but instead he was begotten by God. And he was begotten before the whole world began. You see, Jesus Christ is eternal from eternity past to eternity present. He's eternal to, from eternity present to eternity future. God the Father is present from eternity past to eternity present to eternity future. He has always existed and he will always exist. And Jesus, his son, has always existed and will always exist as well. John chapter 1 tells us that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That Word there is Jesus. He has always existed and will always exist. John chapter 3 and verse 16, you know that verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You see, Jesus was begotten of God. Begotten means to be the father of. And when you beget, you beget something of the same kind. For instance, a man begets human babies, right? When you think of, uh, of Matthew, of Luke, of the Chronicles, of Genesis, and you go through that long list of this person begat, this person begat, this person begat, this person begat, this person. That person didn't beget a goat. That person didn't beget a horse. That person begat another person. So a man begets human babies. A beaver begets little beavers. A bird begets an egg which turns into little birds. But when you create, when you make something, you make something of a different kind. For instance, a bird makes a nest, a beaver makes a dam, and men make bridges and skyscrapers. A man could also make a statue, right? And you can make that statue look like a man. For instance, uh, maybe a statue that Michelangelo made. Looks like a man. But is that statue a man? No, that statue cannot breathe. That statue cannot think. That statue cannot walk. That statue is not a man. It is a statue of a man. Imagine if that statue became a real man. Imagine if that statue could breathe. Imagine if that statue could walk, could think for itself. What kind of change would have had to have happened to that statue for that to occur? It would have had to be a great change. That's the kind of change that happens to you and to me when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We become sons of God. We now have that spiritual connection to God. We have been changed over so greatly that we have become like a statue turning into a man. That is the change that we have. 1 Peter chapter 1, back to our text. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. We already read this, but we're going to read it again with a different context here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, he has begotten us. We are now just like him. I'm not saying that we are like God. We are gods of our own, but we have that spirit within us that's revived, it's alive. It looks like this rose here that has perfect life within it. And it will constantly stay that way. And we will never lose it. We must live in that new life instead of the old one. Last time I was up here to speak, I was talking about how we ought to uh, let the new man take control instead of letting the old man take control. Which one has more influence on you? Which one are you under the influence of? The same thing here. Everything in this life, the possessions, the accomplishments, and the people will all eventually fade away and disappear. It doesn't make sense for us to live in our old life, in our old self-willed way of living. Only God's will and God's word and God's work will stay permanent. We must stop grasping for the temporary and focus our time, our money, our energy on the permanent instead. The word of God and our new life in Jesus Christ. I was speaking to my wife about this subject, um, about a certain subject, and she asked me how, uh, she read a verse and 
she was trying to figure out exactly what, what it meant, and, and I, I kind of conveyed some things that I had thought, you know, I, I thought that it meant, and it was basically about how uh, man's foolishness, uh, they think that their, man, their foolishness is wisdom, but God's wisdom is foolishness in this world. And you can, you can take that and apply that here because if you take and you live in your old life, you think that your old life is wise. The philosophers of the day, uh, the, the psychologists, the people who are in the top level of, of society, they say, my wisdom is wisdom, my wis- you must follow my ways, I know what's right. But to God, it's all foolishness. But to God, his wisdom is higher than ours. His wisdom is above ours. We may not be able to comprehend everything that God says, but his wisdom seems foolish to man. So it seems foolish for us to live in the new life and to live for God and to come to church and to go on visitation and to do all these things at church and to partake in this ministry and to teach that Sunday school and to go on the bus ministries and to do all of these things. It may seem foolish for us to do that. But in the world... They look at us and they say, wow, you're crazy. You have all of these things going on in your life. Why? What does it make sense? Well, for us, we see the souls. We see the souls that are going off and dying without Jesus Christ. It sounds foolish to this world for us to live that way. But that's what we must live on. That's what will last. Resting only on God's word will give us the significance for our faith. If you look back at our text, 1 Peter chapter 1. He says in verse 23, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Verse 25, but the word of God endureth forever. God's word is eternal. And the fruit that it produces is eternal. But the things of the flesh, they don't last. Whatever we do in obedience to the word of God will last forever. If God is telling you, I want you to be part of this ministry, I want you to go to this certain thing in, inside the church, I want you to partake in the, in the uh, ladies' luncheon, I want you to serve in the ladies' luncheon, I want you to uh, go to the fair, I want you to go on visitation, I want you to partake in this children's Sunday school class. If the Word of God is telling you that, you ought to obey it. That's what will last. But whatever we do in the energy of our flesh it might look beautiful for a moment like this rose does now, but eventually it will decay and die away like the other rose. Peter here quotes Isaiah 46 when he says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. He quotes the Bible, his Bible in the day. And the word of God is unlike any human or created thing because it continues its beauty. It continues its effectiveness. It continues its life forever. It does not go away. Everything else in this world is like grass. Its beauty is only temporary. The grass dies and its beauty fails. God's word is living and effective and will outlast all natural phenomenon. And it has lasted this long. This book that you're holding in your hands, I hope that it's a KJV Bible, uh, this book has gone through a lot to get here to sit in your lap, to be held by your hands. It has gone through quite the purification process. Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm chapter 12 and verse 6 says, uh, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word of our Lord is perfect, and it's been purified, and it has lasted. It has seen... Uh, persecution and difficulties, and it's gone through all of that. It's gone through many stages. It's gone through many people. John Wycliffe, Johann Gutenberg, Martin Luther, William Tyndale, Miles Coverdale, John Rogers. It's gone through the Great Bible, the Geneva Bible, the Bishop's Bible, and then the King James Bible. It has gone through so much. Why would we not trust it? You see, everything that I'm saying today is based on the Word of God. You see, when we start all of our services, we open with the Word of God because it is the most important thing. Because we lay everything on top of the Word of God. It is our foundation. It is where we find our final authority. It's through the Word of God. If the Word of God is not your final authority, then you could have any sort of idea you want. You could live any kind of life you want. But because the Word of God is our final authority, we live by the Word of God in our lives. I was speaking with my father-in-law about this subject because he's going through a certain series on Wednesday nights with his church and he's talking about the culture-infected church. 
and how the culture has infected our churches and made them so that they don't speak on certain subjects and they don't teach on certain things and people are less likely to take in the word of God. And he took it down to the bare bones and he said, well, where are these people getting their authority from? Is it from the word of God? Because the word of God tells us to preach against divorce. The word of God tells us to preach against homosexuality. The word of God tells us to preach against disobedience in the house. The word of God tells us that we should be in the church every single time the doors are open. Where's the final authority? He said that there are people out there in our society these days that when you, speak, when you try to speak on a certain subject, they will ask you, well, where did you go to school? And what degree do you have in this subject? What's your authority on this subject? I was watching some man, and he went to the, uh, the, uh, the, the um, I don't know what it's called, the, the, the government building. Essentially, the local government was talking about a certain bill, and they were trying to institute the bill. And he came, and he came as a dad of children. And he didn't want this bill, or he wanted this bill to go through because it would help protect his children. And one of the people on the panel said, well, what kind of college degree do you have in this subject? He said, I have none. He says, well, why do you think you have the authority to speak on this subject? He said, because I'm a father and I want to protect my children. He wasn't putting his final authority on some degree that he got. And neither am I. I'm putting my final authority on the word of God. I say, this is the word that I live by. This is what I live by. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see these verses about the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You see, he says here that it's, it's good for doctrine. It's good for teaching. Let me get this out here. This some of you may have gotten this. This is actually a, <clears throat> this is my dissertation, A Perfect Thoroughly Furnished Family. And I looked at these verses and I said, doctrine, doctrine deals with what is right. It's about teaching. It says that the Bible is good for reproof, for conviction. Uh, reproof deals with what is not right. The Bible is good for correction or restoration. It is, uh, correction deals with how to get right. The Bible is good for instruction, training. Instruction deals with how to stay right. This is what the Bible gives to us. And we believe that the Bible was inspired and preserved by God. We believe in verbal, plenary inspiration. You may ask yourself, okay, what, okay Tyler, you're getting in too many terms here. What are you talking about? Verbal, plenary, inspiration? Well, let me take it, break it down for you. Verbal. Verbal means that it's the words that are written, not the ideas. We don't look at the Bible and say, well, that's a nice idea. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll apply that. No, these are the actual words of God that are inspired and preserved in, these, in this book. The inspiration is pro, uh, propositional, not conceptual. Plenary means that all scripture is equally inspired. No degree of inspiration. One book is not more inspired than the next. One book may have errors in it, but not the other. The whole entirety of the Bible is, in, is inspired, and it is inspired equally. And when we say inspiration, we're not saying that you're some artist painting on a canvas and it's oh, so inspiring. I feel so inspired by that painting. That is not it at all. Inspiration is actually God-breathed. You see, God gave us this word. God breathed this word to us through men of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is what we believe. This is our final authority, is the word of God, this verbal, plenary, inspired word of God. As I was looking at this book, an exegetical grounding for a standard sacred text. This is written by Pastor Peter Van Cleek. He comes to our services sometimes. He spoke on this subject, and he said this. He said, inspiration is the basis for Scripture's infallibility and authority in that God is its primary author. When we ask who wrote this book, well, Paul wrote this book, or Peter wrote this book. Well, Peter penned it, Paul penned it, but God authored it through the Holy Spirit. There is no private interpretation of this word. I look at this and I get certain things from it, and you look at this and you get certain things from it, but you can look at it. You're not here 
trying to hear the word of God only through me. I am not the only person who can convey the word of God to you. You have the book. You go home and you read it for yourself. See what the Lord says to you. This is the important thing about your Christian walk is that you ought to not be in the word of God only in church. You ought to be in the word of God every day. If you were here for Sunday school, you heard Brother Gabe speak about about this subject, about how we ought to be in the Word of God each and every day. What does your devotion life look like? Is it one of those things that, well, I got some time now, so let me open the book and read it. Okay, I read my stuff. Okay, good. Or is it something that you say, no, I don't have time for it in my schedule? Or is it something that we look at and we say, this is God's literal words. I ought to read it. I ought to take it in. It is my final authority. How can you live in the new life without the instruction of the Word of God? It does not originate with man, but it came from God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It has been said, to eternally save, the Word must itself be eternal. It is quick. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce you. It can cut you so that you can form into what God wants for you. Not to hurt you, but to help you to live in that new life. The new birth produces an incorruptible seed because God keeps his word and his promises remain in effect. If I were to uh, open this up and ask you, can you give me a promise that God said to you? Uh, a lot of people would say, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or he'd you'd say that uh, God will never leave us or forsake us. Or the Lord is our rock. In him we will find shelter and safeness. God's promises are everlasting. What God promises, he delivers. Confidence in our spiritual birth is based on the truthfulness of God keeping his promises. And he calls this the word of the Lord which endureth forever. When God keeps a promise, he keeps it eternally. And so you see in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 that we are new creatures in Christ. That we have the incorruptible seed within us if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that we base all of this on the word of God that lasts forever. It is our final authority. So what does it result to? I kind of went out of order on the verses here, so let's get back to verse 22 here. It says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. He says the truth. Well, what's the truth? That's the word of God. That's what we just laid out and we said, this is our final authority. So now that you have obeyed the truth, what does that do for you? You get unfeigned love of the brethren. That's the, bro- that's the love word here called Philadelphia. Phileo. It's the brotherly kind of love. It's the camaraderie that we have. But you know what? Unsaved people can also show brotherly love. This is where it starts, but we must elevate it. That ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. That word love is agape. That word love is God's love. It's a higher form of love. We are to love each other in that sense, like God loves us. Not just stop at the Philadelphia style of love, but to raise it, to level it up to the, to the level that God wants for us in our lives. Christians possess brotherly love. We can have that camaraderie with one another. But we need to exert spiritual energy to love others the way that God loves us. Unsaved people can show us that brotherly love, but it takes you and it takes me being controlled by the Spirit to show that agape love. I know this isn't February. We already talked on love in February. But love, God's love, is one of the foundational principles of Christianity. And it's one of those things that it's so easy to show It's so easy for unsaved people to see you as a Christian if you just love them. If you'll be nice to them, you'll help them, you'll be kind to them. But when when unsaved people come into our church or they see you out in the in the city, in the in the town, and they see you griping and complaining about some other Christian and how they did wrong to you and how they did this and how they did that, and they see that you don't have that love for even each other, how can they see that? They would love that you would love them to Jesus Christ. How do they see the love of Christ in you when you gripe and complain, when I gripe and complain, and I say all of these bad things about some other Christian in our, in our congregation? 
May the Lord help us to understand that we ought not to be judging each other. We ought not to be biting and, 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 and forming these divisions within our church because then how are, the Christ, how are the people who aren't Christians come to Christ? We ought to have that brotherly love, but we ought to level it up to that agape love for each other. Don't let these things hinder you from being that example to somebody else. Brother Gabe spoke on leadership. Leadership cannot, can be seen within the church, but leadership can also be seen outside of the church. Your example to other people outside of these four walls will mean everything to them coming to Jesus Christ. We must be in a constant state of understanding that we are a new creature in Christ. We have that new life within us, regenerated. Our spirit has been regenerated within us. And now we have an opportunity to live for Him and to show His love to other people. And we base all of this on the Word of God. If you don't have the Word of God, you don't have anything. As Paul said, if Christ died and is dead and did not rise... We are among, among most men most miserable because everything that we do is based on Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Everything we believe is based on the word of God. The infallibility, the inspiration, the preservation of his word is what is the foundation for everything that we believe. I have here the Constitution and Bylaws for the church. There it is. Constitution and Bylaws for our church. The first thing in our declaration of faith is not uh, women are to wear skirts only. The first thing on our declaration is not everybody ought to be in their place every Sunday morning. The first thing in our, in our bylaws is not that we believe uh, such and so. The first thing in our bylaws, we believe that the Holy Bible was written by men supernaturally inspired, that it is truth without an admixture of error for its material for its matter, and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the age, the only complete and final revelation of the will of God to man. The first thing in our bylaws is the word of God. That's the foundation for everything. That ought to be the foundation for your church. That ought to be the foundation for your ministry. That ought to be the foundation for your family. That ought to be the foundation for you personally is the word of God. Upon this, we all base the rest of this. Being born again, not of corruptible, but of incorruptible. Having that new life. Being able to share that with other people. Showing other people agape love. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you might be thinking to yourself, this man's crazy, walking all over the platform, talking about this and that. I don't know what he's talking about. Let me tell you, you can know 100% sure that you're going to heaven one day. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible tells us, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here and you haven't ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, believe the word of God. Believe what it says, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again to pay for your sins and for mine. And if you would only... Join me in praying a simple prayer. Pray it from your heart and believe it in your heart. He will gloriously save you. Pray something like this. Dear God, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe Jesus died for me. Right now, right now, I receive the Lord Jesus. I receive the Lord Jesus into my heart, into my heart as my personal Savior, as my personal Savior. Please take away my sin. Please take away my sin and take me to heaven when I die. And take me to heaven when I die.
I saw 